Hi, I'm Adrian Maidman. Welcome to the podcast, I'm Also, where we talk to people with multiple careers, pursuits, and interests. My guest for this episode is Denise Arnold. Denise is the director of the law firm Lion O'Neill Arnold, founder of the Cambodia Charitable Trust, and in 2019, she was a finalist for the Women of Influence Awards. Hello, Denise. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Nice um, to be here. I guess, have you always wanted to be a lawyer? I guess it's the starting point. Did you no. always want to be a lawyer? No, I didn't always want to be a lawyer. And sometimes, day to day, I don't always want to be a lawyer either, <laughs> even though I am one. Um, I wanted to be a vet when I was at secondary school, yeah. And then on careers day, I had a local vet come and take me out to see what vets do. And I'm not sure who had spoken to him, but he took me out to do an autopsy on a pig in a piggery. And that was really smelly. So not that I'm a flake, but I just thought that was a bit tough. I thought maybe I'd be dealing with cats and dogs and pigs and piggeries were a bit harder. So I had a wee think about that. And I'd always been a really good debater at school and liked debating and fighting for the underdog type thing. So I looked at law as an option and there you are. And that was at Auckland University. And so were you from Tauranga? Yep, born and bred in Tauranga. Um, went to um, Otomodai Intermediate and College and before that um, Bellevue Primary School. So... I went and studied in Auckland. It seemed like far enough away from home, but not too far. And it was a great place to study. And I think actually it's got a, a good, well-respected law degree. So Yeah. And then you came back here. Did you, um, where you are now, was that where you started from? Was it? Pretty much. During my law degree, I'd worked as a summer clerk for different firms. But when I came back to Tauranga, I started working in the firm where I actually ended up becoming an associate and then a partner. So I haven't really travelled very far, literally, in terms of professionally. I've kind of moved my desk down a few offices and that's about it. But you have moved a long way in the charity area. I have. In the uh, Cambodia Charitable Trusts. How did you come about starting, starting that up? Well, it started really as a drive to try and protect kids. You know, by that stage, I had two girls and I was the typical modern day helicopter parent, you know, watching everything that they did and supervising all their after school uh, sports, etc. But it, you know, struck me that there were millions of children out there that didn't have parents that were in a position to care for them. And many of those kids ended up being sold and trafficked. So... I thought that was my responsibility as a global parent to help some of those kids that didn't have parents that could help them. And that was really my driver to start. And why, why Cambodia? Well, Cambodia is an unusual country. And as much as in my lifetime, it's had 30 years of civil war and disruption. And I can remember uh, television newscasts of um, Pol Pot being cheered on and all that stuff as I was growing up. So I felt that to some extent, you know, my generation owes Cambodia a bit. From 1975 to 1979, they had millions of Cambodians killed. They're not really sure how many, between one and a half and three million, because they can't find everybody. And that was when I was at home kind of playing with dolls and, you know, mucking around, having a, a lovely, idyllic childhood in Tauranga. So when somebody mentioned to me, 
that they had thought of going to Cambodia and doing business there, I thought, well, perhaps I can help in my role as a lawyer. But as I researched Cambodia, it became more clear to me that I wanted to be involved in a charitable role rather than working in business. So that's what I did. And I read on the website, you said you had an instant connection with the country. Yeah, it's strange because, you know, I didn't travel overseas much and certainly I didn't have an OE when I left school or did anything like that. So I was well into my 30s before I travelled overseas and I'd always travelled with my husband or my family. So when I travelled to Cambodia, you know, East Asia, and Cambodia is a little bit of a challenging spot at times, Mm. I expected that I'd be a bit freaked out. But in fact, when I landed there, I felt that that's pretty much where I needed to be and I was doing what I needed to do. So I felt instantly comfortable, albeit challenged, and physically and emotionally kind of stretched at times. How do you actually get there from from New Zealand? Well, you fly through either Singapore or Kuala Lumpur or Bangkok, and then you take a bit of a local um, kind of commuter flight into Phnom Penh. But um, from there, where I work, is about three hours south of Phnom Penh by van. It's not a long distance when you look at the kilometres that you travel, but the road conditions and the sheer volume of traffic, it's very rare that you get above 60 kilometres an hour, which is very frustrating when you're trying to get anywhere and you think, oh, it's only 200 k's, but you're actually in the car for a number of hours. And um, how often do you you go over there? Well, I try to go uh, twice a year, but I have been, in some years I've been over four times if I've got things that I've got to do. And... You know, if there's something that I have to be there for, I feel that that's my obligation to be there to make sure it happens. So I travel generally between two and three weeks at a time because I do have a business to run and also a family. So when I am away, I have to rely on the goodwill of others to keep things going and also my emails. So, um, yeah, it's, it's roughly two or three times a year. Yeah. And what are the main goals of the trust its main areas it works in? Well, we work in education and the focus is to ensure that children get access to a quality education and they call it basic education from grades one to nine. So that's the equivalent of our primary and intermediate schools roughly. But um, for me also the the goal is to break the poverty cycle and to protect children from trafficking. So that's kind of like the subtext. And you're also teaching teachers as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a really exciting step for us. So we've got um, a number of schools that we support and obviously a number of children in those schools. But we've gone to a national program now at the request of the Ministry of Education, Youth and Sport to train the actual teacher trainers. So the next generation of teachers that are produced and graduate and head out towards teaching can actually teach. So the impact is enormous when you start teaching the actual teachers. For example, when those graduate teachers start working, there are 1,600 of them roughly a year, and each of those teachers will reach a classroom of a minimum of 40 students, and I have seen classes with up to 75, so 40 is pretty minimal. That's 64,000 children a year that will get a better quality teacher and that's every year that that teacher teaches for every cohort 
that graduates. So it rapidly climbs to having a very big impact. Is that so? That's a partnership with the trust and the and the ministry. Is it? Is it? Yeah, we work really closely with the Ministry of Education in Cambodia. They're very cooperative, but um, I think also even though we are financially quite a small charity in the charity space in Cambodia, our impact is really big and also we're smart. So we work closely with them in partnership and deliver programs pretty much under their banner and um, consistent with their long-term strategies, which means that you know, the ministry is really happy to partner with us and I find working with them, we've got a bit of a blue sky. We can go over and say, hey, listen, we want to try this now and the minister will go, okay, let's do it. Do you have any language problems, language barriers? Uh, yeah, yep. I think I might be missing a language neuron when it comes to learning foreign languages, although I have tried for many years to learn Khmer. So as we work progressively up within the ministry, most of those people will speak English and they're very good at speaking English. They also speak Russian and Japanese and French. Um, but when you're working in the schools and certainly with the teachers and with the parents, they only speak Khmer. So I'm very much reliant on an interpreter. But in saying that, you know, you've got you've got two types of interpreter, one that will just say exactly what you've said like a translator, but another one that will speak to the concept that you're trying to get across, and that's the kind of person that I work with. So I'll say, okay, can you explain now, please, that we're wanting to move on to this particular program and put it into context for me? And he'll go, okay, and then just talks to them. Because um, the, the team that we have over there are extremely competent and they are experienced trainers themselves. So when you're in an education context, a lot of what they're talking about is education specific, and they're talking to educators. So I leave it to them because I'm a lawyer. I just need to come up with a strategy. I don't actually need to come up with all the deliverables. So mm. How do you coordinate with people over there with, and people over here? We have a country manager in Cambodia, and he has nine staff so he manages all of them they're all Cambodians no no Westerners uh, and he communicates directly with me and then I'll communicate with our team in New Zealand so we make the the channel of communication really clear I try very hard not to have people directly communicating with the team on the ground because if the country manager doesn't know what's going on it can be a bit chaotic and that's worked really well so I find because you know they are experienced educators and because they are very focused on what they're doing, there's not a lot of day-to-day -day communication that's required. I think one of the things I've learned fairly quickly is that if you're clear with your goals and you're really clear about how you value things and how you would expect things to be run, there's not a lot of day-to-day -day decisions that they can't make on their own because they understand very clearly what our strategic goals are and what our development philosophy is and our practice guidelines. Okay, so it's not like a micromanaging kind of situation? No, it's very tempting to do that um, and to start thinking that you need to solve everything. And I do fall into that if I'm not careful. When I get there, I start asking questions about operational things. But I actually need to learn that's not my role. They're quite capable of doing that. In fact, when I'm not there, the whole system runs much more smoothly than if I was to complicate things and interfere. Mm. And your um, the funding model, well, raising money is kind of um, 
well, that's unique, but all the funds go to the charity, don't they? There's no sort of... Yeah, there's no costs from this end. So 100% of funds that are donated go to the programs in Cambodia. And, you know, that gives a lot of my friends and colleagues and our supporters confidence because they will, for example, donate $500 for a library and then they get a photo of the library that they've donated and, you know, it's cost the $500. So... We are all volunteers. I pay my own way when I travel. Um, we cover a lot of the costs for the team on the ground when we're there. So we're 100%. And I think one of our focuses this year particularly has been to improve all of our audit and accounting records so we're totally transparent because as we grow, we're going to have um, more people wanting to look at accounts and understand how they're run and we need to be able to be audited so, yeah. Do you have challenges challenges raising funds? Like, you know, a lot of charities, it's always like, you know, the raising the funds is so hard. Yeah, we do. It's not easy. Particularly, I think, working in Cambodia, it tends to be a bit invisible. Many of our donors are never going to actually meet the children that are benefiting from their generosity. So I have to be able to get people who understand the impact that they can have in Cambodia. And therefore, they need to be prepared to put money out there with really not getting much back. They're not going to get a T-shirt and they're not going to get, you know, somebody coming and standing, taking lots of photos of them. It's actually a real charitable donation. And we don't have many corporate sponsors. We unusually only have one, which means we have hundreds of... Do you want to mention your corporate sponsor? (laughs) Yeah, we could. We have financial independence and they support a number of children at in our sponsorship program and have helped us recently raise some money with a quiz night, etc. And they are our only corporate sponsor. And it's interesting because I think corporates in New Zealand pretty much won't support something out of New Zealand. I find that a little bit disappointing. I can understand it, but I think that it's a narrow focus because really corporate sponsorship should be about um, working with another organisation that has similar values and is aligned with yours. And if you're interested in education and human rights and social justice and breaking the poverty cycle, then why wouldn't you support us even though the money goes to Cambodia? I do acknowledge that there is poverty in New Zealand, there are issues in New Zealand, and I do support other programs in New Zealand myself, but there's nothing quite like poverty in Cambodia where there are no social services and there just simply isn't any bottom. Yeah, it's kind of hard to imagine. I see some of the photos and you go to the schools and you go, okay, there's a school there, but then it's it's just, I'm not sure if the right word, shed kind of that you've changed. Yeah, some of them are grass huts. Some are corrugated iron. Some have got literally dirt floors. Um, Some of the classrooms are pretty much unfit to occupy. They're so broken that they're dangerous. And if if I can influence that school, I ask that they don't put children in those rooms because they're going to crush somebody. Um, The... The really good schools in Cambodia would be jaw-droppingly simple compared to the schools in New Zealand. They are extremely simple. A library is very simple. It's really just books on a shelf. Having functioning toilets is not common. Obviously, all of the schools we support have that, but you're talking really, really basic infrastructure. Mm. What have been some of, say, your 
biggest wins you've been proud of over the charity period? Well, I guess there's probably three that come to mind. One is that we were asked by the Ministry of Education to take on that National Teacher Training Program, which I thought was a real win for us because it recognised after 11 years we knew what we were doing and the Ministry thought that we were the best organisation to bring about large-scale change. Also, in that kind of same line, the Minister of Education himself came down and visited the schools when we were there, which is a big deal. It's much harder to get a minister from the Cambodian government to come and visit than I imagine it is to get a New Zealand minister. And he travelled, you know, three hours to come down out to the rural schools and hung out with the kids and talked to us and had coffee with us and was just so humble and grateful and approachable. So that's my second. And my third is the fact that we now have 39 young women at university And each of those young women would be unlikely to have completed primary school if it wasn't for the fact that they were sponsored from a young age and that sponsorship saved them from having to go out and work to help feed the family. And one of those is now in her third year of a medical degree to be a doctor. We've got accountants, lawyers, um, wedding planners. Uh, We've got people doing agriculture and vet care So, you know, I think that's real kudos to those kids to have stuck in there. And, you know, you have to look at what kind of resilience does it take for a child from a background of ultra-poverty with parents that are often illiterate. They wouldn't have a book at home. They wouldn't have power. They don't have running water. And yet that child has hung in there and has excelled sufficiently to get through to university. So that would be something I'd like to understand and identify what are the characteristics of those children that have made them so successful and so resilient because I think that's something pretty special. Do you know researching that? or I'd love to research it. Yeah, I haven't got anyone researching that, but it would be very cool. Must be some graduate somewhere. It could be, yeah. And I'm, I've done my Master's in International Development through Massey uh, during running this charity. I felt that I needed to do that because I kind of needed to have some kind of qualification, you know, because I was impacting all these little lives and maybe I was doing it wrong. But as a result of that, I really respect the value of good quality research. And I've now become part of a group of development practitioners in Tauranga. There's six of us actually meeting tonight to have a talk about what challenges we have and how we could help each other. And that's the um, type of people that I really love talking to because you can identify you know, how you could monitor and evaluate your impact and what research you could undertake to validate what you're doing. But I also feel really strongly that the people working in the development field should be sharing information and sharing their tools and the information and research that they've gathered because there's just not a lot of that that goes on in this Do you do much work with other charities? Not really. We've tried to work with the charities in Cambodia that are in the education space, but I feel they don't really want to share any information. And in fact, one of them, which is a very big international charity, which I won't name, they take all of our information and then copy us and run programs based on what we've what we've designed and delivered 
and they go to our schools and ask our school directors, how does CCT actually achieve what it's achieving? And the directors tell us, oh, we had this person from so-and-so come and see us and ask us all these questions. And I think that's kind of cool because it's very flattering. But I did say the Ministry of Education, when we were signing up our last contract with the government there, that if they're going to give our information away and our plans, then they are obligated to tell us who they've given them to so we can explain the why and the how, not just the what, because just pinching our what isn't good enough. You've got to understand, well, how do we make it work? And we'd be happy to share it, but none of them really want to admit that they're yeah, nicking Copyright infringement, sure. Well, that's right, but, you know, it's... With my legal experience? That's right. Well done. <laughs> you've got... You've nailed it on the head. And I have had people say, you know, you should be protecting your IP, but, hey, you know, you're talking about little kids who don't have clothes to go to school and don't have shoes and teachers that can't teach. So if we can expand our reach through other people mimicking us, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And what are your plans for the future for the charity? Well, I've got plans, obviously. So my, particularly in the... In the National Teacher Training Program, I'd like to introduce some other programs at that level where we're starting to track and monitor or mentor first-year graduate teachers in their first year so we can go out and say, okay, what are you struggling with? How can we help? And then at the end of their second year of teaching practice, bring them back into the Teachers Training College for a couple of reasons. The first one is to have them reconnect with other teachers and share experiences and solve problems and kind of commiserate or celebrate, but also because that teaching institution should be learning back from those graduates, what did they prepare them well for and what were they underprepared for, and have that feedback loop completed back into that institution. So I'm developing an institution plan which measures how well those different teacher training colleges are performing across a number of levels and that's going to take me a few years to introduce because I don't think they're going to understand what it is I'm trying to achieve but as a beginning point we've prepared an observation tool which can be used to observe a teacher actually in the classroom and identify what they're doing really well and where they're a little bit weaker which gives me, obviously, summative data that I can have a snapshot across the country and say, okay, these are where the gaps are. But it's also formative because you can leave that with the teacher and the teacher can see why they only scored a two as opposed to a three and what behaviours we're looking for to show that they understand whatever that particular um, behaviour is. So there's 21 different factors and each of those factors have between a one and a five for a grade. Five being pretty aspirational, and we wouldn't necessarily see that in New Zealand teachers, but we're really thinking that we'd like to move them to a, to at least a two, but to a three. And do you do anything else in your free time apart from...? Um, well, I am part of SheEO, which is an organisation which funds women-led businesses that are focusing on you know, solving some form of social issue. And that's been brought to New Zealand by a friend of mine, Teresa Gatting, who happens to also be the patron of CCT. And so that is pretty cool. So you get to hear about some really neat businesses and it's turning that business funding model around. So you lend somebody money interest-free and they then report back to a ready-made group of networkers who are their investors who then go on to promote their business. So it's a real win-win. 
And also I, in the similar vein, I like um, doing education in New Zealand, delivering law law workshops at the local library and also running Wonder Woman, which is a networking group of women, not networking in terms of sharing cards and business, but networking in terms of getting to know each other and supporting local women and celebrating the success of local women. So I have a bit of a feminist approach to this, I guess. Have you got any key tips for managing time for all you know all these things going on? Well, I'm not sure that I'm the best at that, but I guess what I need to do is I need to make sure I keep my focus high enough and I keep it on that horizon rather than dropping my focus down into the smaller issues. So that whole micromanaging thing, I've got to resist that. And I'm being told by a number of people, including my sister, who's extremely good at managing time, to say no to stuff that doesn't matter or is going to distract me, or is not going to serve any greater purpose. Yeah. And that's big the picture. Big, big picture, big picture things. Mm. How can people donate to funds to the, uh, to the trust? Well, on our website, which is cctnz.org.nz, or you can email me at denise at cctnz.org.nz, um, we do welcome any donations, obviously. There's Very, a whole range of different options. There's isn't heaps. There? You can help. You can sponsor a child. You can buy a bike so they can get to school. You can buy a teacher pack for a, a new new graduated teacher, and they love those. I mean, they're basic things like scissors and rulers and pens and paper and stuff they don't have. So I don't know how you meant to teach without anything. Um, so that's pretty cool. Or you can help us support a school, um, or the teacher training program and we're really happy to talk to anybody about any way that they could help we also need help fundraising and uh, and I've recently um, had one of our key volunteers pass away which is a real shame it's very sad and he's going to leave an extremely big hole in our finance team so you know we do need help with audit and you know the normal admin stuff in New Zealand and I, I have two acknowledge the amazing volunteers that have come forward and have given hours of their time and Ken is just one of a number of them but they are amazing human beings and CCT would not function without them. That's great and you mm. do have regular fundraisers don't you? you Nadia yeah. Lim. Nadia Lim came and um, had a lunch with us, she's our ambassador, she's coming to us to Cambodia with us in March which is pretty cool. Um, and we have quiz nights and Christmas raffles and all sorts of things. We're selling Nadia's cookbook and we're selling solid sterling silver little bike necklaces and all sorts of things, anything basically. I'd sell your time, Adrian, if I could. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> I've got a quote from you. Oh. I've got a quote good. you said. Oh, your quote you use from Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, like your candle. It is better to light a candle than curse the darkness. Yeah. And she, Eleanor Roosevelt's quote is really important to me because at the stage when I was trying to decide how to have an impact in the world, I felt really overwhelmed because there's so much stuff that's going on out there. And then my mother-in-law told me about that quote. And I thought, actually, it's much better that I light my own candle than curse the darkness because it's much easier to be overwhelmed and curse the darkness 
than you think. It's it's daunting to take on something out there, but if you just light your candle, and if everybody else lights their candle, you can push back a lot of darkness. And the thing I've learnt working in Cambodia is the economics of the situation are that it doesn't take a huge amount from New Zealand to have an enormous impact in Cambodia. We have a really huge impact for what we can deliver over there. Okay, thank you for your time, Denise. That was great. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you.